0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would open up a Bible to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, we will be there extensively this morning. You might even, if you've got a ribbon in your Bible, just drop the ribbon there because we'll step out a time or two, but we will just keep revisiting this passage in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. As we focus our attention for these next few minutes on the inspired Word of God. It is great to see everybody this morning, great to be with you, great to have a number of guests in attendance today and I just am personally very glad to be here. Uh, after having a much needed week of vacation, I am uh, refreshed and rejuvenated and ready to roll and just excited to be with the brothers and sisters here at Lakeside. We worshiped last Sunday with a congregation of five people and so it's nice to be here today in a, in a much fuller building and the singing just sounded so Full today, and it filled my heart up. And hope that you've been encouraged, and hope that encouragement will continue as we open up the Word of God. In 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, this is the fallout to that great mountaintop encounter that we actually studied a couple of weeks ago during VBS about Elijah's defeat of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. That victory that's recorded in the previous chapter, in chapter 18, I think must have been a true mountaintop high for Elijah. Not just physically, but spiritually. I'd have to think that after defeating those 450 prophets of Baal, God raining down fire from the sky, Elijah must have been riding a spiritual high. But by the time we get to chapter 19, things have turned south. So read with me, if you will, beginning in verse 1. Ahab, that's the wicked king, told Jezebel, that's the wicked queen, told her all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah, verse 3, was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his side a a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he laid down again. And angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He rose and he ate and he drank. and He went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Verse 9 now. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel, they have forsaken your covenant and they've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword and I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. I am all by myself, Elijah says. Nobody else is serving God. It's just me. I am all alone. Have you ever felt that way before? I have. I would imagine that at some point or another in the life of every disciple, we have all gotten a case of the Elijah Blues. Whether that be when we're in the workplace, where it may feel like you are the only person in your place of work that has any kind of biblical values and moral ethics. Or maybe that's when you're at school. Our kids have returned to school this past week or will be in the coming week. And we go to school and it just kind of seems like it's the whole world versus Christianity. And maybe in that place where you are, you are the only one person who has the courage to stand up for Christ. Maybe that happens sometimes in your own family where you are the only faithful Christian. And there is a real sense of loneliness and isolation because nobody else in your family seems to take God seriously. Sometimes even within a church, in a local congregation, we get discouraged, maybe even a little bit bitter, because here I am, I volunteered for something, thinking that there's going to be all kinds of people and all kinds of fervor and zeal. Folks are going to show up, folks are going to help out, folks are going to be involved, and then... Well, nobody really showed up. There wasn't hardly anybody involved in that. What's up with that? Doesn't anybody care? Isn't anybody willing to make some sacrifices to come and help out and to serve the Lord? Am I the only one? We get to feeling that way sometimes, don't we? Whether it's real or whether it's just imagined in our brains where we get down in the mouth like Elijah was, and we think that everybody is either ambivalent toward God, or maybe they're just adversarial toward God and His things, and I, even I only, I am the only one who cares about the Lord. Well, the Lord has an answer for that. In fact, the Lord had an answer for that when He spoke to Elijah. Drop down in the text, look in verse 18. In verse 18, God says to Elijah, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, God says, Elijah, you're wrong. You're just wrong. You are not the only one. You are not alone. And I believe that when you and I, whenever we get to feeling a little bit of the Elijah blues here, probably the very best thing that we can do is return to 1 Kings the 19th chapter and just camp out in this chapter so that we can be reminded of some fundamental truths about serving the Lord. And in fact this morning, I want to share with you four of those truths that I think we would all do well to file in our brain, make note of in our Bible, things we want to remember whenever we feel discouraged and alone in our service to the Lord. And the very first of those things is probably the most basic and the most obvious of all. And that is whenever we feel like we are the only one, we need to remember that, that we just don't know. We just do not know everything that is actually going on. That was true for Elijah. Do you remember, just turn back maybe a page to chapter 18, whenever this showdown between Elijah and the evil king Ahab, when all of that was kind of brewing, who was it that actually arranged for this confrontation to take place between Elijah and this one who really is the representative for all the evil prophets of Baal, this king Ahab? Who was it that brought all that together? Well, it was actually a servant of the Lord named Obadiah. He meets Elijah there in verse 7. And Elijah says to him, Hey, I want you to take me to Ahab. You coordinate this and you bring me to Ahab because I want to go and confront him. They talk a little bit about that. And then in verse 12, I want you to notice Obadiah says, Now, Elijah, I I really would caution you about that. You need to be very careful here because, verse 12, As soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. Although, notice this, Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Elijah, you were over here saying, I'm the only one that cares about the Lord, but what about this guy? Here's Obadiah. He feared the Lord. In fact, he didn't just talk about fearing the Lord. He did some things that showed his fear in the Lord. Drop down to verse 13. What does he say? He says, has it not been told my Lord what I did? When Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. I've got to tell you this, I'm not a mathematician, but if my math is correct here, this makes at least 101 other servants of the Lord. And if you add Elijah to the mix, Elijah, there's 102 of you all who are serving the Lord. Elijah, you're just wrong. You're saying, I am the only one, but you're just not right about that. And You want to know why you're not right? Because you don't know everything that's actually going on. Furthermore, where had Elijah been during all of this time of drought and turmoil in Israel? Well, if you notice there back in chapter 17, just the previous chapter, during those three years or so, he's with the widow, the widow of Zarephath. He actually hasn't been around. And so, Elijah, how do you know? How many people in Israel are serving the Lord or aren't serving the Lord? Answer, you don't. And that's because you don't know everything that's going on. How many churches of Christ are there in America right now? According to one source that I consulted, there are about 15,000 congregations. That would include all different kinds of groups that label themselves as churches of Christ. But that represents about 2 million people. Uh, What exactly is going on in all of those churches this morning? Are all of the people in those churches true New Testament Christians, faithfully serving the Lord? Answer, I don't know. And you don't know either. There's a lot of people in a whole lot of places. Now, are some of those churches probably unsound? Probably so. Probably so. Are there probably some people in those churches who are not really living faithfully? Probably so. But there really isn't any way for you and I to know everything about everything that's happening everywhere right now. And I think we need to be reminded of that. I personally need to be reminded of that. Because every now and then we'll hear of terrible things that have happened amongst God's people. We'll maybe hear of some terrible division that's happened in a a larger congregation. Or maybe we hear about some awful apostasy that has occurred in a a very high-profile church. Here's a church that's decided to add instrumental music into their worship services. Or here's a church that's now uh, appointing women pastors and women preachers or some other departure from plain New Testament Christianity. And it's easy when we hear all of that news to decide, well, well that's it. Just pack it all in. Everybody's leaving the Lord. Everybody's forsaking the pattern of Scripture. Everybody's abandoning the truth. And that is, that is not true. Because how many smaller congregations of God's people all across this very nation are still faithfully and quietly serving the Lord? I don't know. I can't give you a number, but they're out there. I was with one of them just this past Sunday. You know, just because it seems like sometimes everybody else is being swept away in a tidal wave of error and sin and apostasy, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's actually happening. We don't know everything that's going on. There may, in fact, be 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. And by the way, this is a great place to interject this. Just because you hear something on the news or just because you see something floated around on social media, that doesn't change this principle either. You know, you turn on the news or you jump on Twitter or Facebook and what is being presented on there? It is a very narrow and thin slice of what's really going on in this country and in this world. That's true politically, and that is especially true religiously. So here's the news channel. They air some big survey or some big poll about how many people in our society said that they agree with some kind of immoral behavior. And oh, can't believe there's so many people that believe that. Or you go on Facebook and somebody posts something about some matter of biblical doctrine and it's just error. It's just false. It's just not true at all. But it's getting shared by everybody and it's got likes and all kinds of wonderful comments on it. And the temptation in those moments is to just overreact. Oh my! What's going on here? The sky is falling. I guess I am the only one left who really wants to serve the Lord. That is not accurate. That is not an accurate picture at all. In fact, if you are taking the moral and spiritual temperature of this country and this world and all the congregations that are in this world because of what you saw on the evening news or because of what you saw on Facebook, then my friend, your thermometer is probably giving you an inaccurate reading because nobody knows everything that's going on. Not Elijah, not you, and not me. And that is especially true because of something that Jesus tells us in the New Testament. Would you be finding Matthew chapter 6? Because Jesus tells us there in Matthew 6 about the work in the kingdom, and that is that we don't do kingdom work in order to be seen of men. In Matthew chapter 6, we'll come back to Kings in just a moment, but let's grab a little bit of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what Jesus said? about practicing our righteousness for others to see? In Matthew chapter 6, he says this beginning in verse 1. He says, Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, you go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus tells us here that religion and godliness and good works, they are not tools by which I can use to jack up everybody else's opinion of me. Hey, look at me. Look how holy I am. Look how generous I am. Look how righteous I am. Look at all that I am doing in the service of the kingdom. You know, Cain preached last Sunday morning about Phariseeism and some of the qualities of the Pharisees. But I'm going to tell you this. There is not many things that you could do that will put you on the road to Phariseeism quicker than patting yourself on the back publicly for your religious deeds. And we know that. We do know that. And I think by and large, we steer clear of that. We don't want to be involved in that kind of thing, which means it means there's a lot of good work going on in the kingdom that I know nothing about. You want to know why that is? Because there's a lot of people, even in this congregation, who are doing good, and they're not going around and telling everybody about it. Can I say that again? There's a lot of good work being done in the kingdom that I don't know the first thing about because the people who are doing it are not touting all of the good deeds that they're doing. A good brother wrote an article recently that really kind of stimulated my thinking for this sermon. and He wrote the following. He said... In my little sphere of experience, I am barely touching the hem of the garment that God is weaving. Even in the life of a single church, most of us are aware of only a tiny fraction of the good that is being done day in and day out by dedicated saints because, because they do their good works and no trumpet is sounded. They do their good works and no picture is taken. They do their good works and no announcement is made, but the Father who sees in secret knows and He is proud. That's exactly right. I know of folks who are supporting preachers overseas out of their own pocket. Nobody else knows that. In fact, the only reason I know about that is because they came to me and asked me to help them to find a reputable preacher to support. Otherwise, I wouldn't even know about that. I know of a brother who's been having a Bible study with a non-Christian for the last several weeks. He's not sounding a trumpet and raising the band. Oh, look at me. Look at the good thing that I'm doing over here. I go to sometimes to see people in the hospital. And lots of times when I get there, I expect I'm going to maybe be the first one to show up. And I come to find out, there's already been a half a dozen other members from the church that's went and visited that person. They're not going and posting about it online. Oh, look at us. We went to visit the sick today. Did you know we have somebody in this congregation? who of their own volition comes by this church building every couple of weeks to spray around the grounds for weeds, and they do that of their own time and of their own expense. That person isn't saying, Hey, look at me, everybody. Put my picture on the front page of the bulletin. In fact, I kind of got to thinking the other day about all the various things that go on in the life of just a local congregation. I got to thinking about like a baptism. Have you ever thought about how many hands are secretly involved in helping someone to be baptized. We have somebody who regularly monitors and checks and adjusts the heater on that baptistry. We can have a pool of water that's comfortable for folks to be baptized. We have somebody who routinely checks the water and puts chemicals in there and makes sure that we don't have you know, lily pads growing in the bottom of the baptistry because that's always really weird. We have people, several people, who help to clean that thing, empty it out, fill it back up and keep it clean. We have people who go back when somebody's going to be baptized and assist them, help them to get changed and show them where stuff is. We have people who get the garments and the towels and they take those and wash those and dry those and bring those back. We probably, you probably, don't see any of that. Especially when somebody's being baptized. That's not what we're focused on. We're focused on the person being baptized. We're excited about that. But there's all of these things going on. And a whole lot of people in that circumstance is doing a whole lot of stuff so that this individual could obey the gospel. And there wasn't any fanfare about all of that. There wasn't any big attention being drawn to that, but you make no mistake about it, kingdom work was being done. And I'm going to say that every single day, all around us, whether we realize it or not, kingdom work is being done, whether we see it or not. And Elijah... Elijah needed to remember that. You and I need to remember that. In fact, can I just combine these first two points here? The number one, we don't know everything that's going on. And secondly, a lot that is going on, it isn't being done to be seen of men. So here's the takeaway. Why don't we just assume the best then? Why don't we just assume the best of our brethren here and of God's people everywhere? We don't see a whole lot of what's happening so why do we often develop this complex that Elijah has, or what Paul would call evil suspicions, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4? Why do we jump to the conclusion, oh, look around. Nobody's doing anything. I didn't see anything. anybody doing anything for God in this past week. I guess I'm the only faithful Christian around here. Why do we go to, to just jump to that extreme? That everybody else, they must be lazy. Or everybody else is just indifferent about the Lord. That's on me for assuming the worst out of everybody else. That's on me for failing to think the best and to be optimistic. You know, even if I don't see, or even if I don't hear of a whole bunch of good things going on, my assumption needs to be that kingdom work is happening. I'm just going to trust that that's happening. I'm going to trust the best of my brothers and sisters. I'm going to trust that the Lord is making sure that kingdom work is being done. That every single day all around me there are sacrifices being made that kindness is being extended, prayers are being offered, comfort is being given, hospitals and funeral homes and nursing homes and prisons are being visited, the gospel is being shared, prodigals are being admonished, cups of cold water in His name are being given. And I need to be encouraged by the fact that I am not alone in serving the Lord. Because every day all around me, God's people are quietly, secretly, carrying out His will. And that's really important to remember because all too often what happens is, is we're looking for something spectacular. We're looking for just something big and grand that just grabs our attention and says, Wow! People are obviously doing some stuff. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord doesn't always use or even need the spectacular. Can you go back to 1 Kings chapter 19? Let's revisit Elijah there on that mountain and in that cave. Let's hear a little bit more of that conversation that he has between him and God. Elijah, he voiced that complaint to God in verse 10, but he actually repeats the complaint in verse 14. Would you look at verse 14? Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. They Seek my life to take it away. I don't know about you, but I hear those words, especially the fact that Elijah said this twice now. There's almost a a tinge of, of, of rebuke, almost like he's rebuking God a little bit here. God, God, I'm so alone. Can you do something about this? When are you going to do something about this? How are you going to do something about this? God says to him, verse 15, Go, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. While it is absolutely true that God can work through and He can operate in extraordinary ways, that God can use spectacular means to accomplish His will. And in fact, in chapter 18, that's what He did. When God rained down fire from the sky, doesn't get more spectacular than that. God is capable of doing that. But I'm going to tell you that I believe that more often than not, the Lord works through very ordinary means and very ordinary channels. Here in this passage that we just read here, the Lord's going to work through these rulers that Elijah is going to appoint and anoint, verses 15, 16, and 17. The Lord's going to work through those 7,000 who had not bowed the knee. Ordinary folks are going to work through them. And I think this context and this understanding really helps us whenever we start to get discouraged in that way. Because many times what happens is is we perceive that no one's doing anything for the Lord. And the reason we think that, it's because we're often looking for something big to happen. We're looking for some big spectacular evidence that people are doing stuff for God. We have this very American mindset of the bigger is better sort of thinking, and we're just looking for something giant, something obvious, something visible. And when we don't get that, we get the blues. I mean, come on around here. How come we didn't have more people for VBS this year? Why are not we having more baptisms around here? When are we going to be the biggest church in town? That American bigger is better mindset, it has us looking. Tunnel vision for something big and splashy and spectacular. But the truth of the matter is, God isn't American. And He doesn't think in American terms like we do. I think about Acts chapter 2. Think about this chapter often. In Acts chapter 2, you remember there, Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel. And in response to that, 3,000 people are baptized and added to the Lord. Now, I will admit to you, that does seem pretty spectacular. 3,000 people obeying the gospel on one day. But you know what? If you had opened up the newspaper the day after Pentecost in A.D. 33, would you have seen a big giant headline across the top of it that says, giant new religious movement began in Jerusalem yesterday? No. No, the big news of that day, it would have been coming out of Rome. The Caesar said this. Or the armies are marching in this direction. Or the Senate passed these proclamations. Nobody who saw what happened in Acts chapter 2 really thought that anything lasting or anything really important had occurred. But you and I know, with the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight, that what happened that day in Acts chapter 2 It profoundly changed the world. But how did God do that? God did that through the preaching of a fisherman and his eleven misfit comrades. And as a result of those meager and ordinary methods, the whole world was turned upside down. And we need to be mindful of the fact that that is often how God acts. Yes, sometimes God sends fire from the heavens. Yes, sometimes God sends ten plagues. Pharaoh, you need to pay attention. Yes, sometimes there is an earthquake that shakes open the doors of the jail. But oftentimes, the way the Lord operates is in much quieter and in much simpler methods. It's a group of women meeting down by the river in the city of Philippi for an hour of prayer. It's an Ethiopian man all by himself out in the middle of the desert sitting in his chariot reading the Bible. It's one Gentile centurion and his family. All of that serves to remind us that just because we don't see something big and spectacular happening doesn't mean that nothing's happening. And Elijah needed to be reminded of that. Lots is going on, Elijah. And instead of you quitting, instead of you getting all depressed and down in the mouth about that, you need to get up and you need to go be a part of what is happening. And that really is the fourth and probably the most important part of this whole equation. Because regardless of whether you are the only one, and in all probability you are not the only one, but regardless of all of that, you just need to keep being faithful anyway. really doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or is not doing. We noticed a moment ago how Elijah, he actually gave his I'm all alone speech twice. Well, did you know that God actually says something to Elijah Twice. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, God came to, or Elijah came to this cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then drop down to verse 13. At the end of verse 13, behold, there came a voice to him again and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, this is not the moment for you to cash in your profit 401k and retire. This is not the time for you to step away after having this pinnacle moment on Mount Carmel and saying, oh, well, that, that's a good way to go out. I'll just end it on that note. This was not even the time for him to die, even though that's what he was requesting. No, Elijah, this is the time for action. This is the time for you to get up. Go back to Israel and get busy. That's why God asked him, What are you doing here, Elijah, when you need to be there? When you and I get a case of the Elijah blues, really in essence what we are saying is we are saying, well, since nobody else apparently is doing anything, I'm not going to do anything. And since I can't see anything happening and going on, I'm not going to make anything happen or go on. And since one little person like me can't really make a difference... I'm just not even going to try. But I want you to understand this morning that that is not an option. It is not. Because you know what? If everybody else is serving the Lord, that'll be great, and we're going to do what? We're going to serve the Lord too. And if by some chance nobody else in the whole world is serving the Lord, we're going to do what? We're going to keep serving the Lord faithfully. We're going to do what is right, and listen to me very carefully here, Doing what is right never involves taking a head count first. As I was preparing this sermon, I actually found myself just kind of wanting to keep going over to the New Testament. Would you jump over there for a second? Look at First John chapter two. In First John chapter two, John's first epistle was written at a time when the numbers the numbers were not going God's way. But that's why John says what he does and says the kinds of things that he does. Like in 1 John chapter 2, uh, look in verse 18. John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19 now. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Numerically, the churches that John is writing to, they are struggling. They have had people who have said, we're out of here. We're not doing this anymore. They left us. They've known division. They've known strife. They've known persecution. But I want you to notice that John does not say in response to all that, well, I'll tell you what, guys, you might as well just pack it in. I mean, your numbers are small. People are leaving. There's just a feeble little handful of you guys left. whole bunch of your group, they've already left, so you just might as well leave and quit too. Nope. What John says, drop down in the text, look in verse 24. John says in verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal Lie. John says, Abide. Keep going on. Let the Word of God dwell in you and motivate you and move you. In fact, if you read just the entirety of your New Testament carefully, I think you will notice that much of the New Testament is preaching that same message. Stand firm. Keep going. It's what Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 1. It's what Paul says to the Colossians in chapter 2. He tells us Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 that one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to come in flaming fire. And so in light of that going to be happening, you need to live in view of that. You better be sure that you're standing on the side of righteousness and with the Lord. The Hebrew writer, he sends to his recipients a letter. And in chapter 12, he says to them, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood yet. Which is why you need to just run the race. Run the race, endure to the end. In fact, since we're still here in John, maybe just turn back a few pages to Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says that, you know what, Christian? There's going to be some days that you will feel like that it's the whole world versus Christianity. You'll feel like it's everybody against you and it's only you. He says that, just kind of blunt about that. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. He says, beloved, don't be surprised. At the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You are going to feel like you're the only one from time to time. But verse 16, he says, just suffer anyway. And you be glad. Count it joy. Be happy that you can suffer as a Christian. And don't be ashamed. You glorify God in that. Much of the message of the New Testament is endure. Persevere. Don't quit. Even if you find yourself in the minority, even if you are the only one, never let the number of people doing right or the number of people who are not doing right, never let that affect you, Christian. You just keep being faithful. And so God tells Elijah, Elijah, just stop. Just stop with all this, I'm the only one business. Elijah, I've got work for you to do. You're not alone. I've shown you that you're not alone. And you need to get down there and get busy in strengthening the cause of righteousness in Israel. You know, Elijah may have been the first to feel this way, but he most certainly was not the last. Sometimes we too, we get down and we get discouraged and we feel alone in our service to God. But you know what God says? God says to us the same things that He was saying to Elijah long ago. God says, hey, there's more going on here than you realize. And that's especially true because kingdom work, it's not being done to be seen by others. There are things happening secretly that you don't even know the first thing about. Furthermore, God doesn't need big, spectacular results in order to know and to prove and to show that His work and His will is being done. What we just need to be doing, not be looking for something big, we just need to be faithful. We just need to be faithful and keep on keeping on to the end. God says, don't be discouraged when you feel like you're the only one. Because there are 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee. Where are you at this morning in your relationship to God? Are you possibly, like Elijah, hunkered down in a cave trying to distance yourself from God? If that is the case, then really the message that God gave to Elijah is the same message and the same call that He is making to you right now. And that message is, get up and go. I am calling you to come out of that cave. I'm calling you to obey My Word and to do what's right. Maybe this morning what you need to do is you need to come out of the cave of sin and guilt. You need to find forgiveness and you need to find cleansing in Jesus Christ by being obedient to the Gospel. We are ready to hear your good confession that Jesus is God's Son. We are here and ready to help baptize you into Christ if that is your desire this morning. You simply need to make that known. If you maybe have already done that, you are a Christian, but maybe you have crawled back into that cave and it's maybe a cave of unfaithfulness. You're not doing what you ought to do as a Christian. Maybe you've just found yourself in this cave and you're kind of like Elijah in that you're just, you're just discouraged. You're just down. Then this morning, can we please assure you, brother or sister, that you are not the only one. And can we show that to you by praying for you, by encouraging you, by putting our arms around you and helping you in whatever way that we can. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to come to the front and make that known. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.